Let's pray and ask God to meet us in his word. This morning's passage is just astonishing, Lord. Uh, many of us have read it many times, and that can just can become maybe too familiar to us. And I pray that this morning you would just blow our socks off with the stunning statements that you make in this passage. Just open the eyes of our hearts, Lord. Let us see and wonder and rejoice and embrace what you say here. I pray that nobody would leave here unchanged. Me, none of us, Lord. Meet us in your word now, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So as I was thinking about this passage, um, it's kind of one thought that struck me is that there's, there's times uh, in my life as a follower of Jesus when my faith is absolutely rock solid. And I'm, I'm just feeling it. I'm feeling that there's a God. I'm feeling his presence. I'm feeling that Jesus is the son of God and he died on the cross and rose from the dead and that heaven and hell are real and he's coming back. And I'm just, I'm just feeling the truth of it. Lots of times, that's what's going on inside me, rock-solid faith. There's other times when my faith is not as rock-solid. And, and frankly, I'm just, I'm just not feeling it as much. And it's at those times I start to wonder, you know, now, and why do I believe that there's a God, you know, and, and why do I believe in Jesus, and why do I believe he's coming again? And, and I can start to just kind of wonder, and those, those questions start coming up in my mind. And, and I, I'm sure that if you're a follower of Jesus, you experience that too. Every follower of Jesus experiences times like that, where we're just not feeling it as much, we're not as strong, and we're just kind of feeling weak. Now, here's the good news. God knows we'll have times like that. And that's one of the reasons why he's given us this book, the Bible, his word, because this book is jam-packed full of reasons and evidences for why we believe the truths of who Jesus Christ is. I just I love this book because God's intention, one of the reasons for giving this to us is so that at those times when we're weak in faith, you're going through a trial, you're, you're like, is, is there even a God here? Or you're dealing with a temptation, is it really worth it to fight this? Or you're thinking, oh, I don't want to meet my neighbors and talk about Jesus, what if it kind of gets strange? And you know, those times where we're weak in faith, God wants us to open up his word. And to read and to pray and to ponder. And as we look at the reasons and as we look at the evidences, he will meet us and he will strengthen us. And our faith will grow and we'll be back in that place where we're feeling it and we're strong and we're established in the faith. And that's what I'm praying God will do for us this morning. Because the passage we're going to look at this morning, this next section in Isaiah, is astonishing in terms of the the evidences and the reasons it gives us for why we trust the things we do about Jesus Christ. So let's turn to Isaiah chapter 9 and put on your seatbelts. Here we go. If you need a Bible, raise your hands. Uh, we'd like to have one for you to look on with us. Isaiah 9 in these Bibles, be bold, raise your hand. We want you all to have one. The most important words this morning are the words in the Bible. My job is to acquaint you with this book. So you're thinking about this book, and you're walking away thinking about the truths of this book. These are the words that are important this morning, so we want you all to... Be able to look on with us as we study. It's page 573 in the Bibles we just passed out. Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 7 is what we're going to focus on. Now let me give you just a little bit of background by, by bringing you up to speed with where we were left at the end of chapter 8. And let's ask this question. 
what will happen in Israel's immediate future. Isaiah's writing around the year 750 B.C., and he's writing about what's going to happen in Israel's immediate future and also more distant future, but what's going to happen in her immediate future? Now, here's the context. All through Israel's history, he had loved Israel, been faithful to Israel. He provided for Israel, protected Israel, cared for Israel, looked after Israel. God had flawlessly shepherded, fathered, cared for the nation of Israel. Revealed himself to Israel, clearly everything. But Israel did just like what you and I have done also, and that is they simply turned their backs on God, wanted nothing to do with him. Now God is slow to anger, and he's patient. And so he sent prophets to Israel, and they said, God is slow to anger, and he's patient. But if you continue to turn your back on God, in his justice, he will have to punish you, and he will punish you. And he will bring enemy nations to come and invade you and they will lay siege to your cities and you will face starvation and you will face destruction. So please turn and respond to God. Look at who he is. Look at how he's loved you. Look at how he's cared for you. He's your creator. Turn to him. And Israel persisted to turn away from him again and again and again. So finally, God said to Isaiah, tell Israel the punishment is going to happen. It's going to happen. Look at verses 21 and 22. They, homeless Israelites, will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry, starvation, famine. And when they're hungry, they'll be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. That's like a picture of just like scoffing at God. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and there will be, they will be thrust into thick darkness. So the punishment's coming. Isaiah's writing in 750 BC. The next thing that's going to happen is Assyria's going to come and conquer Israel. And this is what Israel's going to face. Despair and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and thick darkness. Now, this is hard for us to feel, right? Because, I mean, we're not experiencing anything near like what Israel felt. So let's just try to get a little bit of a feel for this. Imagine that some conquering nation just blew through San Jose, just leaving destruction in its wake. Maybe 70% of the houses burned down. All the businesses destroyed. The economy gone. Money supply over. All the grocery stores ransacked. Money's, uh, water supply cut off. If you just, just feel it. So here we are. It's cold. Okay, we got that part, all right? And uh, think of the, the despair of darkness, the gloom of anguish, the thick darkness you would feel if that's what you looked at when you looked out in the city. Okay, that's a little bit of, hoping you feel a little bit, that's what Israel was going to be experiencing. That's what Israel would face in their immediate future. So that's where Isaiah leaves us at the end of chapter 8. So, is that the end of Israel's story then? Is that God's final word to Israel? No, it's not. In chapter 9, God says he's going to do something with Israel that is just mind-blowing what he's going to do for them. First of all, God says he's going to remove the gloom and bring great light. Now, before we look at the verses, I want you to see this map here. Okay, so... Here's the nation of Israel. 
Okay, the land of Israel. And up here, there's notice there's Zebulun. That's where the tribe of Zebulun hung out. Naphtali, tribe of uh, Naphtali hung out. Here's the the uh, Jordan River. So this is the area uh, across the Jordan. And there's, this is the path to the sea because these were po- popular seaports there. So that's by the Sea of Galilee right there. So this is called the Land of Galilee, Galilee of the Gentiles. It's the northern part. Okay, do you get your geography lesson? Got that? Okay, now look at verses 1 and 2. Here's what will happen after this time of destruction. But there will be, in the future, after the destruction, no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Assyria came in, destroyed them. But in the latter time, after that, in the future, he has made glorious the way of the sea, that's that area, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. Okay, so because of Israel's sin, God had punished the land of Israel, and now God is saying that in the future, God is going to put all of this gloom, despair, darkness, it's going to be over. He's going to remove the gloom, shine a great light into this area. Secondly, God's going to vastly increase the number of God's people. Look at the beginning of verse 3. You have multiplied the nation. Now, you might think that just means that the nation of Israel, biological Israel, is going to get bigger. And it could mean that, but I think it means more than that. Because, remember in Isaiah chapter 2, God says he's going to raise Israel up. All the nations will see her and they will be drawn to her to learn about who God is and who his Messiah is. So Gentiles are going to be added to the people of God. In fact, we're going to see in a couple weeks or months, it's not how long we take to get through Isaiah, but Egypt is called God's people. Assyria is called God's people. That is, saved people from Egypt, saved people from Assyria, are joined together with God's people. So I think what this is getting at is that God is going to so vastly multiply his true Israel, the true nation of Israel, true spiritual Israel. Gentiles will be added in. There's going to be this flood of saved people around the world. Third, God will increase Israel's joy in God. Rest of verse three. You have increased its joy, the nation's joy. They rejoice before you, important words, as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Now notice, Israel's increasing joy here is joy in God, because they rejoice before you, as they do with the joy of harvest. It's not just that God's going to bring them harvest, which he will and did, but they're going to rejoice in God. Now, If you know Israel's history, this is really good news. Because the vast majority of Israel, all through her history, refused to rejoice in God. God was their treasure. He was their father. He's their creator. He's their God. To worship him was their highest joy, just like it is ours. But most of Israel turned their backs on God again and again and again. But the time's going to come where God's going to work powerfully in Israel saving a vast number of them, drawing Gentiles in, giving them joy in God. They're going to be saved. Fourth, God's going to free Israel from all oppression and war. Verse four, for the yoke of his burden, the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Midian, this is the story of Gideon, 
where God miraculously freed Israel from oppressors. The yoke, the staff, the rod, God's going to break them. All oppression is going to cease. Verse 5, every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. It's a little bit cryptic, but what God is saying is every battle boot and every battle garment and all implements of warfare will be burned up, gone. No more oppression, no more war, just peace forever for Israel. Okay, now imagine that you were an, an Israelite, 750, maybe 740 BC, reading the scroll. Okay, so you're, you're, you're reading this. And you're, 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 you're seeing your history here. At the end of chapter 8, you'd have been in despair. Thick darkness, despair, darkness, the gloom of anguish because of the judgment that's coming. But then you've just read this. In the future, here's what God's going to do. No more gloom. Great light. He's going to multiply the nation. He's going to increase our joy in God. There will be no more oppression, no more warfare, just peace. This is going to happen in our history. And so if you were an Israelite reading through the scroll, the burning question you'd be wondering is, when is this going to happen? What do we watch for to know this is going to happen? What's going to take place so we know this is going to be taking, going to, going to be taking place and happening? How's God going to do this, in other words? Now, this is where this gets amazing. How is God going to do this? How do you think God would do this? How is God going to do this? Verse 6. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. So Israelite reading through the scroll, the way God's going to do this is a baby boy is going to be born. Watch for it. A baby boy. There's lots of baby boys born. Okay, hang on. There's more coming. And the government shall be on his shoulder. Okay, so maybe he's going to be a king. All right, that's, that's significant. But this is more than just an ordinary human king. Verse 7, notice the word government is used there. Exact same Hebrew word. Of the increase of his government, I'm reading verse 7, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. His government will bring peace and it will never, in, never stop increasing. Now, if a government on this world never stops increasing with peace, it's going to cover the whole world and there's going to be peace. That's ultimately where this baby's reign is going to lead. Global peace. No more war. Verse 6. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. doesn't mean this is his actual name. Is Wonderful Counselor here? You know, it's, what it means is it's a Hebrew idiom. This means that he is a Wonderful Counselor. That's who he is. And this word wonderful, it's a little stronger than the English word wonderful. It's, it's a word used for signs and wonders, miraculous miracles that God does. Which means that, that as this baby grows up, his counsel will just leave you stunned with its wisdom. Wonderful counselor. Okay, now this next line. His name shall be called not just wonderful counselor, but mighty God. This is one of the most astonishing verses in the Old Testament. Mighty God. 
this baby that will be born, or you're an Israelite, what should we look for? Baby boy, wonderful counselor, he's going to be mighty God. He, he will be mighty God. I mean, if, if you could just picture this, say, okay, there, Jan said this is okay to use this picture. Okay, so here, this is all right, just a little graphic, but feel it. Mighty God. Now, some people, you've probably heard in classes, maybe at the university or maybe on NOVA or Discovery Channel, it's like, well, you know, the Hebrew language, the words have kind of a broad range of meaning, and so we're not really sure it really meant God, God, and it is true that words in the English, in the Hebrew language have a broad range of meaning, but this phrase, mighty God, one chapter later, chapter 10, verse 21, just it's in your notes, when it's used, without any qualification, it's clearly Yahweh, God, the God of the Old Testament, the God who's always been, the God who created everything. That's who we're talking about, mighty God, no qualification, exact same phrase here with no qualification. This baby's name will be mighty God. And then every other time in the Old Testament that phrase mighty God is used, every other time, every other time, not just in Isaiah, every place in the Old Testament, it means God, mighty God, Yahweh, God. So, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, this baby is going to be born, ever-increasing authority government moving from his rule, wonder of a counselor, and he's going to be God. Now, as you were an Israelite reading the school, you've been thinking, wait a minute, that, that means that like God's going to be here. God's actually going to be here, like God's going to be with us. Does that ring a bell with what we heard last week? Remember? Look at Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Remember the prophecy. Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, Emmanuel is Hebrew for God with us. So a virgin is going to give birth to a son. Here's that son again, this baby boy, and his name will be Emmanuel because he he will be God with us. Why is this baby going to be God with us? Because this baby is going to be God. And because this baby is with us, this baby is God with us. You get that? The Old Testament said that in the future, a baby was going to be born and that baby was going to be God. In other words, God was going to come to the earth in the person of Jesus Christ. God the Father is in heaven. God, three persons. God's going to come to the earth in the person of Jesus. There's Father, there's Son, there's Holy Spirit. That's what's going on here. Now keep reading. Nine, chapter 9, verse 6, his name shall be called Everlasting Father. What does that mean? All through the Old Testament, God was the perfect father to Israel. <coughs> Loved Israel. Provided for Israel. Protected Israel. Cared for Israel. And the God of Israel is going to be born on earth as a baby. And because this baby is God, as he grows up, he will be displaying God's perfect fatherly characteristics, God's perfect fatherhood to us. And he will be the everlasting father. Okay, one more. His name shall be called Prince of Peace. 
And again, look at verse 7 to see what that means. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forever. And then to be sure that you know that this is actually going to happen, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Israel, God's zeal. You know, the God who's all-powerful, feel what his zeal would be like. You know, Mike Singletary's got zeal, right? God's got massive zeal. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And what we learn about this Prince of Peace is that he's on the throne of David. So genealogically, he's going to be in the line of David. David is going to be his great, 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 great grandfather. All right, ruling on his throne. Government will never stop increasing. Peace will never stop spreading until finally, as a result of his rule, peace will cover the earth. There will no more wars. Okay, so you're an Israelite reading this. How is God going to remove the gloom? How is God going to remove the despair of anguish? How is God going to remove the, the thick darkness that Israel's under because of her punishment? God's going to do this by being born on the earth as a baby. So get the picture. 750 BC, Isaiah writes these words. He's talking about immediate future punishment's going to come upon Israel, but then after that, a baby's going to be born who is God. Here's the question Has that happened? I mean, that would be an amazing thing. And just, again, try to get the familiarity of this passage out of your mind if you're familiar with it. This is like the Handel, you know, the Messiah, the chorus, right? His name shall be called. I love this passage, but it can become too familiar to us. Think of the astonishment of, of God, not, not just being out there, transcendent, but God being here, born, okay, as a baby. So who is this baby? Has this happened? When's this going to happen? Who is this baby boy? Israel was waiting. And here's what they knew about this baby. They knew he'd be born of a virgin, Isaiah 7.14. They knew he'd be bringing great light, especially to that northern section, Galilee. They knew he'd be multiplying the people of Israel by adding Gentiles to them. They knew he'd increase Israel's joy in God by saving them. They knew he was going to free Israel from all oppression and war. They knew he was going to have the government on his shoulder, authority on him. He's going to be a wonderful counselor. He was going to be mighty God, God in the flesh. He was going to be an everlasting father, prince of peace, who'd rule, whose rule would never, never stop. And so Israel, the faithful remnants, they have the scroll, they're reading, they're waiting. They're waiting, they're reading, they're waiting, and decades go by, and centuries go by, and they're longing, and they're waiting, they're living in the gloom of anguish, deep darkness, thick darkness, they're waiting, they're longing for this to take place. And then, one day, a man named Joseph, who was engaged to a, a, a young woman named Mary, Mary who was, whose great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather was David. And an angel comes to Joseph and says, Joseph, you're engaged to Mary. She's a virgin, but she's pregnant. Well, you, you, know, you know the struggles that he might have gone through at that point in time, but this is an angel, yes. And so here's a baby is going to be born of a virgin who's in the line of David. 
Then, when Jesus was 12 years old, okay, he's born 12 years old. Remember the story of him being in the temple? And him wowing the Bible scholars with his questions and answers and just left them stunned. A wonderful counselor at 12 years old. And in the book, in, in John, I've got the reference in your notes, but someone, the leaders say of him, no man has ever spoken like this man. A wonderful counselor. Where did Jesus focus his ministry? He went down to Jerusalem, but mostly he focused in Galilee. Zebulun, Naphtali, Tyre and Sidon, Phoenicia, those areas. He focused his ministry on the, on the people of Israel, but he also brought Gentiles into God's people. He added Gentiles to the people of Israel. Israelites were saved and Gentiles were added to them. Jesus said he was God. And you can read that in the Gospels. He said he was God. And he didn't just say he was God. He did amazing things that only God could do. I was just thinking this week, remember the time when the funeral processions coming out of the city and a widow's only son had just died? And Jesus walked up to the funeral procession and had it stop. And he, he commanded the corpse in the casket, live. And the corpse became alive. And he restored this widow's only son back to her alive. See, everywhere Jesus went, he just, he just left a stream behind him of works that only God could do. Stilling the steeds, multiplying the food, healing the sick, raising the dead. This is God. This is God. This is God. Now, there's two of these prophecies that haven't happened yet, though. Okay? And they both kind of go together. Israel has not ceased from all oppression and war, and peace hasn't covered the earth. But that will happen when Jesus returns. That's what he taught, and that's what's taught all through the New Testament. So do you see what this means? I mean, just let let this hit you. 750 BC, Isaiah prophesies about this baby who's going to be born. 750 years later, he's born. There is a baby who's been born who fulfills these prophecies. And there's only one baby who's ever been born who fulfills these prophecies. You feel that? So now, so just, just to try to, Get your heart in, in sync with this now. I started off asking the question, what do you do those times when you are feeling weak in faith and you're just not sensing as strongly God's presence in your life? You're not sensing as strongly trust in Christ that you're forgiven, that you've been born again, that, that you're on mission, that there's a real heaven, that there's a real hell, that there is a God. And one of the most powerful things you can do is to open up the scriptures and feast on the reasons and the evidences that God gives. And so I just want you to feast on this evidence that's given. Everybody agrees the book of Isaiah was written 750 years before Christ. Nobody disputes that. This wasn't written like 100 AD after Jesus. This was written 750 years before Jesus. So here's this prediction of this baby who's going to be born, and boom, 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 right through the list. Fulfilled, 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 fulfilled. There it is. It's as plain as day. See, God doesn't play hard to get. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. God loves to put up billboards saying, look, it's true, it's real. I mean, I I can just imagine God through the Old Testament Father, Son, Spirit talking and saying, you know, look at Israel. I mean, they just keep, keep turning from us. And how can we persuade them? And how can we show them? And 
you know, we do work miracles, we part the Red Sea. We're going to go down, we're going to go down in the person of Jesus and be born and walk right in their midst so that they can see, feel, touch, know that this is who we are and what we are doing. Father, Son, and Spirit, the triune God. So here's what I want you just to ponder. Only God could prophesy this 750 years before and then have it happen 750 years later. Only God could do that. Nobody could make that up. I mean, you hold in your hands historical documents, right? Okay? This isn't just the Bible. It's the Bible. It's God's word. But like Isaiah was written 750 BC. And you're, you're holding it in your hands right here. There's the prophecy right there. And then you can look back at Matthew chapter 1, 750 years later. Okay, You're holding it here. Only God could have done that. Only God could have done that, which means it's true. Okay, It means that God himself, therefore, was born as a baby. God came to earth, second person of the Trinity, Jesus, fully God, fully man. And so the God who's always been was born as a baby. The God whose word spoke galaxies into existence was born as a baby. Right here. He walked on the earth. If you lived back there, you could have touched God. Now, later, we can open up our history book here, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and read about God walking on the earth. How much more plain can God make it? Right? He was here. In history, flesh and blood, time and space, history. God was here. Which means that because Jesus was God, everything Jesus said is truth from God, because he is God. Everything Jesus said was truth, because he is God, and he spoke the truth of God. See, there's... All the evidence confirms this, and there is no evidence to question it. There's, there just isn't any. All the evidence backs this up. Okay? So, what does that mean for us then? Here, here's some of what we can know because God was born as a baby 2,000 years ago. Here's some things we can know for absolutely certain sure. First of all, because God was born as a baby we can know that God is real. Let's start with a very basic issue here. Okay? Some of you maybe have never really taken seriously whether there is really a God or not. Well, I want to tell you, God was born on the earth as a baby so that you could know clearly. Because God was born as a baby, you can know God is real. He was here in history. And because God was born as a baby... Implication of the first, we can know that we're not alone. This isn't just us and, and kind of the silent, dark, cold cosmos. There's a God who's created us, and he's come, and he's revealed himself to us in Christ. And because God was born as a baby, we know that we deserve God's wrath. And let this just rest upon us. This is really serious. Jesus taught very clearly that we've all turned our backs on God, and we know that we have. Right? None of us have thanked God the way we should or responded to God anywhere near the way that we should. And so Jesus, God in the flesh, fully God, fully man, taught us that we deserve God's wrath. We all deserve God's wrath. So don't play games with that. 
This is the most important, I mean, one of the most important truths you can just lay hold of. You deserve God's wrath. There is a God. He's created you. He's created the universe. You've turned your back on him repeatedly. You deserve his wrath. Feel that. Tremble at the reality of that. But don't stop there because God was born as a baby. You can be completely forgiven for all of your sin. Jesus taught that. Remember the story when Jesus was in the, uh, in the house and they, they lowered the paralyzed man down before him? Here's this paralyzed man. Remember the first thing Jesus said to him? Son, your sins are forgiven. And all the religious leaders were offended because, well, who can forgive sins if, except for God? Exactly. Okay? Nailed it. Right? But he didn't just talk words. And of course, he showed them that he was God. Okay, okay, I'll show you. Rise. Paralyzed man. Walk, starts to walk, okay? But then, then Jesus died on the cross. That's how our sins can be forgiven. That's why he could say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, because Jesus would pay the punishment for that paralyzed man's sins when Jesus died on the cross. Because God was born as a baby, you can know for certain sure that Jesus' death on the cross is sufficient payment for all of your sin. This is good news. I mean, you can be forgiven for all of your sin on good terms with God as you repent and put your trust in Jesus Christ. Okay, not only forgiven, but because God was born as a baby, you can know that your heart can be changed. Jesus taught that we can be born again through trusting Jesus. This is what Ali's experienced. Okay, this is what many, many of you have experienced. And you might be thinking, you know, I'm just not a spiritual person. I'm here all the spiritual talk here this morning. You know, I'm just not there. I don't really have an interest in God. I don't, my heart's just not, not there. I'm, I'm more of a hands-on guy. You know, let me work in my, my garage. Let me go shoot something. You know, I'm kind of, that's the kind of person that I am. Nothing wrong with those things. Okay, but Jesus promises, and this is God speaking, that if you will trust him, and just lay your life at his feet, he will bring his power upon you, and he will change your heart. He will change your heart so that you will love God. You will worship Jesus, and you'll keep working in your garage and shooting things, but you'll, you'll love God, and you will worship Jesus more than anything. Okay, so your heart can be changed. Also, because God was born as a baby, we can trust him. Here's what I thought, just as pondering this yesterday. If he loves us enough to be born into our world as a baby, I mean, think about that, and then to be nailed onto a cross as a man, you can trust him. Do you trust Jesus Christ? Do you trust him? Do you trust him? Because God was born as a baby, he has given you every evidence and reason that you can and that you must, you must trust him. Trust him. Mercy Hill Church, trust him. Trust him. You're going through trial. You're wondering if God's even there. Does he care? Is there a God? Yes. And he said he'd go through trials. And he said he would help you and care for you. You're facing a big temptation. Why fight it anymore? Trust him. He's worth it all. He's worth it all. 
So you have every reason to trust him. He was born as a baby. Look at the love of that. A baby who, as he grew up, would be nailed to a cross. Look at the love of that. Trust him. Trust him. Two more. Because God was born as a baby, we can know that heaven and hell are real. I mean, Jesus taught lots about hell with, with tears in his eyes. He loves us. That's why he said there's hell. And he said very clearly that anybody who doesn't surrender his or her life to Jesus Christ, to him, receiving his work on the cross, submitting their life to him as Lord, embracing him as their treasure, anybody who doesn't do that, anybody who continues in rebellion against God is going to face hell forever. That's just the truth. That's just the truth. But he also said that if you would surrender your life to him, trust him, receive him into your life as your savior, your Lord, and your treasure, there'd be a new heavens and a new earth, and he would welcome you into his presence forever. You're going to live forever. Can't change that. Okay? Taking your life won't change that. Right? You're, you're going to be consciously existing forever. And God came to earth in the person of Jesus to show us that it's his God. And so we would listen to what he said, and he said, there's heaven and there's hell. I died on the cross, you wouldn't need to go to hell. I died on the cross, you could go to heaven. Surrender your life to me now. And you look at his love, and you say, yes. And then one more. Because God was born as a baby, we know that God is all satisfying. (laughs) Think about it like this. Is anything more glorious than a God who's made everything, who rules over everything transcendently, sovereignly, authoritatively. Nothing's higher than that God. But could that God lower himself more than being born as a baby? Could he lower himself more than being born as a a baby? To, To know a God like that, born as a baby on the way to the cross, to know a God like that, to love a God like that, to be loved by a God like that. It's everything. He's everything. He's everything. So let's stand up. I want to pray this over us. Come on up, Dave. I want you to, to just think in your heart now, what is one of these truths that sure not embracing as strongly as, as, as you should. You're not really trusting it. You're not feeling it as strongly as, as if it was absolutely 100% true. That God's real, right? That, that we deserve God's wrath. We can be forgiven. Hearts can be changed. That we can trust him. That's, Heaven and hell are real, that God is all satisfying. Which of those truths are you not embracing? And I just want you to bring that before Jesus Christ right now and just say, here I am. I see your evidence. I see the word. I see a 750 BC prophecy fulfilled 750 years later. I see it. And just look at the evidence and trust him. Look at the evidence and just say yes. Look at the evidence and embrace the truth. Do that right now. Lord, I pray for your power to come right now upon us. You've already been working in our hearts. 
God, many of us here need to be strengthened in faith right now. Trials can make us doubt. Temptations can make us wander. Prosperity can make us get lukewarm. Bring your power upon us right now, I pray. Through your word, Father, let us see Jesus, born of a virgin, God in the flesh, come to earth so we could see and know. You're real. We've all turned away from you and face your wrath. We can be completely forgiven. Our hearts can be changed. We can trust you for everything. There's a real heaven. There's a real hell. You are all satisfying. Just bring that upon us right now, I pray. Thank you that we can come to you weak in faith. And you will meet us. You will help us. You'll strengthen us. Thank you for your word, which is full of evidences and reasons. And thank you for Isaiah chapter 9. What a gift. What a gift this passage is. Thank you for giving this to Isaiah in 750 BC. That we can read it now and just say, yes, I see it again. I see it. Yes. I trust you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you so much.